hi everyone this is shivam here again uh from last few weeks as we have been talking a lot about prompt engineering llms and especially generative ai today we have really special guest and i think very senior one meet nayan he is ml principal director at essential and he has been the ai field for a long and for generative ai since it's really new to us so we all have been learning so nayan has managed lots of uh ai project and currently working on gen ai personally i am following him on linkedin medium blogs and everything he has been writing lots of great piece of content on generative ai and leading the thought process in this particular field so rather than me talking for a long time so let's hear the man from himself so nan over to you please give us a brief about you and your work at essential Sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Shivam, and thank you everybody uh, listening in. So, uh, thank you for the introduction. My name is Nayan Paul, and um, I'm I'm working as an associate director um, in Accenture. And um, yeah, I know everybody is new to this field of generative AI, large language models, and I got a chance. I got a chance within my organization to be in this field. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been into Gen AI. I, I've been into large language models for almost nine months now. And across the line, nine months, I think you know, I have learned a lot. I have I have stumbled upon a lot. I've I have a lot of you know lessons learned, a lot of battle scars. So yeah, you know, happy to share whatever I have learned. And uh, you know, very very excited to be in this podcast. Great, great. So. Uh, then we can start with like what are the projects like Gen AI projects or LLM projects that you or your team is currently working on that you would like to share. Yeah. So um, yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, without naming clients, right? I'll just give you some background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah only yeah. yeah a background. No. No <laughs> yeah. naming of the clients yeah. or anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Again, uh, just just as a disclaimer, these opinions are my own, right? Not not my companies. Um, but uh, yeah, on on a on a serious note, I had the I had the pleasure of working with financial clients. Um, I had the privilege of working with uh, a lot of supply chain clients, a lot of retail clients. Uh, so I'll give you some examples. You know, we were working with the financial clients, and they have a lot of documentation, right? They have a lot. I mean, every organization have a lot of documentation. They can be their internal HR policies. They can be their internal. You know, financial policies. It can be any of these, you know, customer policies, what have you, right? So you have a huge set of documents lying in the enterprise, typically unstructured, and people people will be typically locking them away uh, into the SharePoints and other things, right? Uh, with generative AI, what has happened is a lot of these companies they are trying to understand how can we reduce that manual labor, how can we actually tap into that knowledge. And use the knowledge to quickly, you know, satisfy internal or external employee needs. So, from a from a financial perspective, if you are, for example, trying to, um, you know, document something, right, uh, or create a demand letter, for for example. Mm -hmm. So, what you can do is you can quickly draft the initial demand letter uh, through a predefined template, and you can fill in these demand letters uh, from the content of your own policy. You, you can fill them up um, from the policies of your own organization. Uh, similarly, when we talk about you know 
so there is a term called rank or retrieval augmented generation so this is this is the term we'll talk about later maybe you know people keep on talking about it like if i have a chat bot and a very simple example can be hey you know i have a vacation plan in my in my company i do not know what is the vacation plan and i want to learn more about the vacation plan so in that kind of a scenario you want to talk to the chat bot and the chatbot will not give you any random vacation policies. It's going to give you your company's vacation policies. So if I say, hey, you know, um, what is the typical vacation hours allocated for my company? Or, you know, how many sick days can I take? Or if I can ask very specific questions like, hey, you know, I've I've done with all my sick leaves and I'm looking for leave without pay, and this is my you know typical scenario, what are the options available to me? So any question you ask with a chatbot, the chatbot can go and scan your series of knowledge repositories information and then try to give you a very pointed answer, a very specific answer. And that answer, instead of you opening up a ticket and HR reading through your mail and HR trying to put it to another person and you're getting a response in like three to four days, you're getting a response in like three to four seconds, right? So again, just a few examples. These are the, the kind of use cases we are seeing in the industry. But like I said, you know, across financial institutions, across retail, you know, banking, insurance, you name it, right? Everybody is trying different kinds of use cases. Definitely, definitely. I think the possibility of the use cases for generative AI, specifically if I'm talking about document automation, then it's already huge. And especially yes. for the like the industries as you have mentioned, financial, supply, retail, there's a huge scope. Okay, so moving down to our next year, so, so lots of people want to become this like AI engineer, ML engineer, prompt engineer because these are really recent or you can say trending uh, professions as of now. So it is essential, like for a particular project, a very uh, basic project. What is the team size and how? what kind of AI experts uh, do you have for these kind of projects? Yeah, um, no, great question. So let me try to answer this in a very generic way. So typically, um, when we talk about generative AI projects, uh, the project requires a lot of data skill, a lot of AI skill, and the new age prompt engineering skill, right? So, so when we try to staff a project, uh, we are looking into at least three kinds of roles, right? People with traditional data and, and, and analytics expertise. Um, you need a lot of data engineering you know, skills. And um, I keep on telling this to a lot of my friends and colleagues, like with Gen AI, building an application is easy. You can easily build an application within a few weeks. Uh, what is hard is to build an enterprise-grade solution an enterprise grade Gen AI solution where you need accuracy, which is more than 90 or 95%, right? So, so anybody can start building a solution, but it's very difficult to get a solution to production because uh, we talk about all the challenges, right? Hallucinations, um, you know, content moderations. We talk about, you know, how do we get the right data and, and search the right data, right? So we talk about those in terms of chunking and other things. So long story short you need data data engineers uh, who can bring in data from multiple sources who can extract content parse out the data it can be ppt pdf what have you right with some of my projects you know we have gone into the extreme where we have seen pdf files that contains invoices 
And if somebody is giving you like 5,000 documents, 4,000 of these documents are all of different variety, right? So different kinds of formats. You have table within tables. We have, you know, merged cells, merged content. So the engineering behind extracting the content and making it consumable so that a large language model can understand, that is a huge effort that requires data engineering skills, right? So you definitely need those skills. Then we talk about AI, right? Because, um, you know, there's a huge understanding and dis distinction between do I use something like a, a pre-trained model or do I fine tune my own model? And a lot of the use cases actually cannot be solved by large language models itself. You probably have to pair a large language model with an additional um, classical AI, right? Some use cases. So you need to have, based on the use case, a strong data science or a data science team uh, so that they can apply the statistics and, and you know, provide the solution. And then the new new age you know, roles, right? Prompt engineering roles, right? Um, people who can understand, interact, and, and build those templatized prompts so that your application can interact with large language models better, right? So in my opinion, um, you know, you, you need a lean team, but you need a very diverse team. You need a team with engineering skills, data science skills, and prompt engineering skills. Definitely, definitely. Uh, like the need uh, is huge. Like you need to have a very people with different kind uh, kinds of skill sets, and uh, they need to be good at what they are doing. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So, like all the like the projects that we're working on, are you still in exploring these use cases, or like you are like pushing it to the production, ready to be pushed into production? What's what's the status? No, oh, you know another another great question. So I think um, if you have asked me Shivam this question like six months ago, I would have said, oh, most of the projects are in POC mode. But as of now, I would say 20% of the projects are in production or in UAT, where the users are test testing it out. They're seeing whether they can actually adopt. Um, and, and I would say like 50% are on active POC mode. Uh, and then the remaining 30 are in incubation mode, right? People are thinking about it. People are designing it. People are understanding uh, what to use and when, right? So I, I would say majority are still in the POC mode, but we are seeing a lot of projects going into production for sure. Great. And uh, like, how many total projects have you worked on? I think you have a great experience in managing or leading wide range of projects. Uh, yeah. So I have around, you know, I think over the last nine months, personally, I have I've worked on ten plus projects. Um, yeah. And uh, again, you know. Coming from my background, you know, I'm also supporting a lot of other projects as an SME in SME capacity. So yeah, a lot of learnings, right? I mean, every project is different, and every problem statement is different. So yeah, I know I'm, I'm having fun learning new things. Great, great. So like in our community, like in Gen AI community, most of the thing that we see people are talking about two buzzwords like prompt engineering and fine tuning LLM, as you yeah. have already mentioned. So if I ask you, like in your experience, like what have you tried more, like prompt engineering versus LLM fine tuning, and mm -hmm. which one works has a larger impact on the overall uh, output quality, according to your experience? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, 
it's, it's a very good question and very hard question, right? Yeah. Um, and it became, because if you ask this question to like five people, you probably will get like 10 answers because everybody will have two opinions. Yeah. Um, so, so in my opinion, right? Um, again, when I say my opinion, I'm talking about as of today, right? And I'm just drawing from my past experience what I've seen. Um, you're talking about two things. You're talking about a state-of-the-art model like a GPT-4, right? Versus uh, a, a fine-tuned model like a Llama 2. Now, there are different ways of looking into it. Uh, in my opinion, step one would be, what is the objective? The objective is business outcome. Business wants you to build a solution that is pristine, that is the best solution, that provides the best business answer, then you're not considering the cost that much. You're just focusing on what is the best model, the, the model that can give me the best value for money. And most of the projects, I would say 95, 98% of the projects in my experience are coming and funding and funded by business, which means everybody is looking for a, a winner, right? Everybody wants, hey, give me a solution that just works. And in that kind of a scenario, you need to go with, you know, pre-trained models, um, you know, GPT-4. So GPT-4, you know, in my personal opinion, I've not seen any other large language models working better than GPT-4, right, across everything else. And then there are other side of the spectrum where we are talking about IT-centric projects, right, projects which are not funded by, let's say, business, but typically getting funded by IT for research purposes. And you, you, need, these, you need these projects mostly for futuristic capability, like, hey, what happens in the future? or what can happen in the future. For those futuristic research projects, a lot of projects are, are trying out with uh, fine-tuning. So fine-tuning works, uh, but as of today, can fine-tuning work exactly equal to GPT-4 or more? I have not seen that. And if you want to build a fine-tuned model that works as good as GPT-4, you're talking about having a huge infrastructure, right? You, you need to have access to a lot of GPU machines. You need to have access to high quality internal data sets and a huge amount of data set that you can train on. And then when you're training the model, you have to maintain the entire ML ops, right? So you have to build your model, version the model, put the model into a registry. You have to continuously evaluate and update the model. And when an old model goes out, you have to continuously you know, evaluate your old, old model versus new model, right? So there's a lot of overhead in maintaining a production-grade model. So with all of that in mind, with the intention that today the quality is pretty high in GPT-4, in my opinion, I think, like I said, 95, 98% of the projects are using GPT-4, and a few of the research projects are using um, you know, fine-tuning. Okay. So what about the prompt tuning? Where do you see? Yeah, so prompt tuning is needed no matter what, right? So okay. even if you have a fine-tuned model, you're not going to update the model on a daily basis, whereas hmm. new policies are going to come in for your organization on a daily basis, right? So, uh, so you have a model. The model can be either a GPT-4 model or a fine-tuned model. But at the end of the day, your data is separate you need to have your data which is continuously updated and you are putting the data into a central knowledge repository, right? We typically talk about those as, as vector databases. So your data is external to the model. So model has a version, let's say version one, 
and your data is continuously refreshed, maybe on an hourly basis or a daily basis. So no matter what happens, even with your fine-tuned model or with your foundational models or with your pre-trained models, you're still going to feed newer data. Let's call the data as a context. So you're going to use, you're going to put the context to the model, right? And that art of how do I give the right the right context and ask the right question to any model, be it fine-tuned or not, is the art of prompt engineering. So in my opinion, prompt engineering is here to stay. Prompt engineering is the way of interacting with the model. And personally, I've seen a huge amount of benefit in, in doing the right prompt engineering, right? So again, I think, you know, Shivam, uh, you asked me a few questions around prompt engineering before, like what are the methodologies and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, you you know about that too, right? Like where I, I have I've written a few blogs around, you know, uh, prompt engineering. And in my opinion, right, I'll just give you a few examples. Now, in my opinion, there are 12 techniques, right? There are 12 different ways and art of doing prompting. So, you know, you, you ask a question and you get an answer. It's a zero shot. Everybody does it, right? So you open up a you know, chat GPD or any other playground and you start asking a question, getting an answer. And then you have options where you have, you know, you give a question and you give a couple of reference example and you say, hey, give me an answer. But, you know, look into my example. And these are like few shot. And then you have instruction-based prompting, right? So you, you define some instructions. So a simple example was um, there was a policy uh, for one of the use cases that says, hey, uh, that policy is only for uh, states A, B, and C. Yeah. And all other states uh, would have a different policy. Now, if you want to, if somebody is asking, hey, you know, what is the policy for state Z, right? In your document, you do not have a you do not have a policy for state Z. You have a policy for all other states. Now, how do you teach LLM that hey, when somebody says all other states, if it is not A, B, C, and D state, that means it is inclusive in in state Z, right? So those kind of things are instruction following where you can you can design a series of rules instructions so that um, your LLM can understand and decipher when you when you talk a little uh, little bit outside the normal English language, when it is not explicitly called out, how do we still get the right answer? And then there are things like, you know, chain of thoughts, you know, tree of thoughts, you know, few short guided, self-ask, general knowledge prompting, react prompting, there are, there are a bunch of those, right? So long story short, um, you know, I don't think, you know, we're in a situation where given a problem, anybody can say, oh, this is the prompting technique, no. I think prompting technique is is a very trial and error, right? Uh, at least, and that's what I do. Yep. But if you know these 12, 12 prompt, prompting techniques, what you can do is you can try it out, see for that use case which one works, and then typically you say, okay, for this use case, I'm going to I'm going to go with this kind of a prompting approach. So that has worked for me. Great. I definitely, I'm going to check out, and I would suggest everyone uh, to check it out, like. These 12 techniques on your medium blocks get more details. Uh, going into more detail uh, as of in the podcast only. So, what were the key challenges that you personally faced while doing this prompt engineering? Right. So um, I think, right, uh, like I like I talked about, 
I think the biggest challenge is the accuracy. Um, somebody says, oh, I need to put into production, which means there is an expectation that um, your solution, your system has to have that amount of accuracy. And there are multiple factors that that is important for that accuracy. So one is obviously the prompting techniques and whatnot, but important thing is understanding your document, understanding your knowledge repository. So I gave an example, like when somebody says state A, B, C, and D, they have a particular policy and all other states have a different policy. So you understand from the document that, hey, there are different kinds of documentation and you know, different styles. So what I have done is typically for most of my projects, we have engaged business from the very start, right? So we, we sit down with the business and we try to capture ground truth. We can say, hey, if I'm giving you these documents and, and you tell me what questions should I ask them and you tell me what, what answers is would be the best answer, right? So I'll sit down with them. We'll, we'll define some strategies around, you know, getting the ground truths, you know, the, the answers from the business because they understand they have, they have, you know, written these documents or they have lived these documents for many years. They understand everything. And once you have the ground truth, then what you do is, you know, it's an iterative process. You build a solution and uh, you get the answer and you evaluate the answer either programmatically or manually. You, you evaluate the answer against um, your, your ground truth. And then you decide what is wrong. You know, am I getting good answers? Am I getting not so good answers? For not so good answers, what is the root cause? Uh, is the root cause because I'm not extracting the data correctly? or I'm not searching the data correctly, or I'm not getting the answer to the data correctly. So once you have done that root cause analysis, then it is it becomes a technical problem. Then you know what is your pain point. So if your pain point is extraction, that means you have to spend more time uh, designing this data engineering solution. For example, I talked about how do I parse images or graphs or table content from PDF, right? So again, a lot of these answers might be hidden inside a table or hidden inside a graph. And you need, to, you need to extract those, right? So again, you understand that this is your pain point. Or sometimes the pain point is, oh, I have all the documents in my knowledge repository, but I cannot search the documents. My search results are not good. So which then means I have to go and change my search algorithms. So typically you have semantic search and, and vector search and hybrid search. So you, you want to you know, play around with these you know, configurations to find out which search gives you the optimal answer. And if, if the answer is, hey, I'm searching correctly, uh, but my LLM is not able to understand, then you go through these prompting techniques, right? And find out what kind of prompting techniques, what kind of rules you can apply so that you can get the answers correctly. So I think uh, this is combination, but again, first, I personally start bottom up. I start with business problem, getting the ground truths, and then doing a root cause analysis. That has worked for me. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I guess getting the ground truth is really important or to evaluate or like doing the prompting, you need to evaluate the quality aspect. So one key question, let's say you're working on a uh, like uh, on a particular project. So as you mentioned, you need to get the ground truth. So for a particular project, uh, how many ground truths or how many input scenarios that you collect? That's question one. So for each input scenarios, how many prompts do you iterate? Like as you mentioned, like prompt engineering is a heat and trial. Yeah. So how many heat and trials do you think a person should do? 
and how fit how many how many inputs in that uh, it's, it's a very an important question it's a very hard question and uh, honestly right in a real world scenario it all boils down to time and money right um why because you have a project and the project has a deadline right so you cannot uh, do a hitchel trial for you know like x number of weeks while you only have a few weeks to release it right so one is you know how many trials you can do is typically based on the amount of time you have in the project and also the number of resources right so again if it's a very lean project you might not have more than one or two engineers who are available to do that all the time uh, so again taking those into considerations in mostly mo mo most of my projects i try to start small um you know if if the project has almost like 100 200 documents then i try, try to find out like two or three key questions from each document so again around 300 to 500 questions and their ground truth uh, but again sometimes we start with like 50 ground truths and then iteratively increase it or sometimes we can go into like 250 ground truths and say okay this is enough um, you know acceptable right so again it's a it's, it's a very non-scientific way i would say I, I don't think you know there is a science behind it but it's, it's also depends on the cost and whether the business is available you know do you have enough developers and your comfort level right but you, you're spot on right i mean this is a very important thing and i think people should spend more time in in that ground truth analysis today we, we are focusing more on on the engineering part of it not not on the accuracy part of it Okay, so let's say you are doing somewhere around 100 uh, questions as you have mentioned, 100 to 200. So for each question, how many prompts, uh, trials you are writing? Like how many prompts you are trying it out for a particular uh, question? Yeah, so now with all these all these projects that I've done, right? I mean, sometimes you get a gut feeling, right? That's that, I think that's what experience is or people, you know, so this is what experience is. So when you look into the documentation, when you look into the project, you get a gut feeling that, hey, you know, these out of this 12, this this four or five techniques is going to get you a better result. Okay. And and you start with that, right? So in my in my opinion, in what I've done is the first, you know, like 10, 20 questions you try out with like five or six prompting styles. And then you know, then you know that, hey, you know, these two prompting styles are the best. Okay. So you just stick with two for the remaining 200 what you do is you iteratively, iteratively improve the prompts. So, so when I said like instruction-based prompting, right? That's one of the you know, prompting techniques. Mm -hmm. In your prompt, you might introduce two instructions, mm -hmm. but as you are going through loops, you might find out different instructions. So over a period of time, you, you keep on sort of improving the prompt itself. So you mm -hmm. stick with one or two prompting techniques, but then you keep on improving that specific prompt. Uh, and over a period of like 100, 200, 300 uh, you know, questions, uh, you get a very solid prompt. And what we typically do is, you know, we will save the prompt into a prompt registry, version the prompt, so that, you know, in the next iteration of the project, if you want to improve the prompt even further, you can actually, you know, improve the prompt even further. So I would say, you know, start small, you know, a few prompting techniques, you know, get a solid understanding of which prompting technique works for you. And then once you are fixating on that prompting techniques, keep on improving the prompt itself. Um, and again, 
you know you, you do that like you know five or six times from per prompting techniques and then iteratively you change the prompts based on the accuracy based on what you're seeing and i think over a period of these 200 documents you'll get a very very decent prompt definitely definitely uh what more thing comes into the play like that is the model so do you also play with different type of models and this llm providers like GPT and then there's a bot, there's Lama, there's the moon coming actually. So do you also yeah. test multiple types of models as well with a particular combination of prompt as well as input case? Yeah, so personally, um, I've been mostly focusing on Azure. Um, so I've I've worked with you know the DaVinci 003 model. And then you know all the models that are available in the in the Azure stack, right? Like GPT 3.5 Turbo, GPT 4, and the versions of it. And I also played with these um, you know, open source models, which are also available in the model catalog of Azure, like Llama 2 Falcon. So I would not say I've I've worked with all kinds of models, but I've typically worked with Azure models, um, both pre-trained Azure models and and fine-tunable Azure models. So. Again, I'm, I'm focusing a little bit more on the Azure side these days. So that's, that's been my focus area. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are running somewhere around 100 input cases, as I can see, and you are testing down three to four prompting technique or style. And for each style, again, you are running, let's say, around 15 to 20 prompts. And that gives you around 100 prompts for a particular input case. And then there's 100 input cases. And then there are multiple, you can say around 80 uh, versions of models only for SO. So that's like multiple thousands of iterations. So how do you document it actually? Yeah, no, great question. Um, honestly, we, we do not go to that extreme, right? So typically we would only evaluate a 3.5 and a 4 and not against all prompting. We'll just, just evaluate them in initially with some ground truths mm -hmm. and understand three things, right? The SLA, the cost, and the accuracy. So GPT-4 is highly accurate, but it is also the most expensive. Um, you know, similar, so GPT-5 is less expensive. It has more tokens, and uh, in accuracy-wise, it's a little behind GPT-4, right? So now when you do a business analysis initially, you just understand from business what, what is important to them. Is, is SLA important to them? Is the cost important to them? Or the quality is important to them? And again, it, from a use case by use case basis, things vary. If I'm talking about a vacation planner, probably cost is important to you, right? Um, but if I'm talking about a very important you know, churn prediction algorithm, probably accuracy is very important to you. So from a use case by use case perspective, you just choose a model, you just pick up a model, uh, so you you get the model initially, step one. Step two would be then you go and evaluate you know, three or four prompting styles for 20 questions, right? So um, so you, you get to 20 cross four, which is around 80, 80 iterations. And typically, you know, what we have done is um, we, we have created uh, A-B testing framework sort of a thing where you can continuously document this information and put it into a database and then evaluate the outcome, right? So I talked about the KPIs, there's some internal KPIs, there's some um, you know, algorithmic KPIs. So there are KPIs like Rouge and, and Blue scores. These scores can help you evaluate the distance between 
your ground truth and the GPT-4 outcome, right? Let's say. So again, through a different uh, techniques, human slash, uh, you know, machine techniques, you get a good feeling and you, and you start documenting and saving these results into a database, right? So API iterations, you know which model to use. You already have found out which, which prompting techniques to use. Then what you do is you you'd go and do that 200 use case, right? So for that next 200 use case, you just use that model, that prompt, and you keep on building that prompt it, itself, right? So you do not, you're not looking into multiple prompting techniques anymore. What you're doing is you're continuously uh, sort of extending your prompt itself, right? You know, And every question, every answer is documented against the database. And typically you can either export the database or what we have done is we have created a Power BI dashboard. Um, and, and some of the dashboards can be used for understanding great insights. Um, so, so that's one way how we are tracking uh, some of these testing scenarios. So like you said, very important to keep documenting because these are the processes very important, right? Like what you have tried, what has worked, how it has worked, how do you see improving of the accuracy? Um, unless you document it, it's very easy to get confused. So you're right, it's important to document and you should have a plan. You no, know, our plan was a database and, and some kind of a Power BI, but every organization might have their you know thought process, but like you said, it's important to document. So, like definitely, documentation is a really key part. So, any kind of a suggestion that you can use to our community, like what kind of documentations they should do, like what this, what all the things they should enlist, so that whenever in future they are referring to that particular document, then it's really easy to understand rather than just uh, miss off a bunch of text. Right. So, so that's why, right? Like, like I said, you know, when we're documenting things, we are we're capturing the KPIs, right? Mm -hmm. So, let's say somebody said, uh, so I'm giving an example, right? So, I'm asking a question, like, what is the meaning of life? And I'm asking the question, you know, to let's say a GPT 3.5 and a GPT GPT 4, and I got two answers, right? And um, I'm expecting a certain answer, so I documented my ground truth. So I have three answers, a 3.5 answer, a 4 answer, and my ground truth. Mm. And along with that, I also have three things, right? What is the time taken for a GPT 3.5 to answer? Mm. So GPT 3.5 is typically a little fast. Um, you also get the time, uh, like GPT 4, how long did, did it take to generate the answer? And then you also have things like the cost. Right. So these are the input. These are the things we have already know. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you can build some KPIs. Right? When you're saving things into the documentation, you're not only saving the text, but you're also actually saving the KPIs, the calculated matrices. Mm -hmm. So one matrix can be the blue score. One matrix can be um, your, your rouge score. Another matrix can be the cosine distance. Right. So for example, when I say cosine distance, what is the distance between your GPT-4 answer and your ground truth and your GPT-3.5 answer and your ground truth, right? So you can keep on you know, discussing. So I think there are 35, 40 KPIs that you can, or at least I know that you know, we, we can actually go ahead and publish. So when you have one question, you can programmatically capture these 35, 40 you know, matrices. And these matrices are something you can display into a dashboard, right? So the matrices will give you indication like how close, how similar, 
your ground truth answer is with uh, the new prompt version or between two models. So again, to your point, no, it's, it's not sufficient to only capture the input and output because these are text. Uh, it's important to analyze this through some matrices and then document that document the matrices too into that documentation. Definitely, definitely. So uh, we have been like talking to lots of people and in community they get lots of these questions actually. So mm -hmm. definitely there is a method like when once you have the ground truth you can uh, measure the uh, output quality with some quantitative frameworks as you have mentioned. But uh, one of the like key challenges our community was mentioning. Let's say, as you have mentioned, you, uh, your 20% of projects are going into production. now. So how do you systematically track quality of this uh, production uh, LLM product? Like what your users are seeing, how can you systematically track quality of that output text that are directly generated by the user? Right, no, great question. Um, so there are two important things that I feel uh, every project should do, right? One is the feedback loop. So uh, typically, you know, even if you go to chat GPT, you have a thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Yep. Um, um, so in most of the use cases that has a user interactive way of capturing feedback, you should have that option. You should have a a star rating cap capability or a thumbs up, thumbs down. And if you're putting thumbs up and thumbs down, try to see if you can put a like a text box where people can actually put in some uh, comments. Now, again, if it is an internal chat bot, like you said, you know, if it is for your customer, then you will get a lot of good feedback. So yeah. step one is capture the feedback and then analyze the feedback, right? So feedback analysis, feedback monitoring, and, and, and understanding how the feedback can go back to your application is important. One. Two is the responsible AI matrix, right? The responsible AI matrix would be, again, a series of matrices um, which you can continuously monitor as a post-production set of capabilities, which means you can continuously monitor. So let me give you an example. So one of my projects, uh, in that project, um, they had a lot of experience with chatbots because they were doing a lot of traditional chatbots, right? In a traditional chatbot, what you do is you ask pointed questions or you ask for keywords, right? Because it's just a bot, it's not a large language model, it's just a bot. You ask a like a one word question, you get a five options like, hey, thank you for your option, give me, tell me one of the five. Um, something like that, right? So again, when we build the LLM project, the users only knew one way of interacting with the system. So they started asking questions and we captured responsible AI metrics in terms of what is the number of syllables or words in the outcome and in the question. So we, we saw a trend where everybody was asking like two, three word questions. And that was a matrix we captured and then we took it as a feedback and then went to the application team and said, hey, look into this matrix. It seems all your users are asking two, three word questions. If you can ask them or if you can train them to ask a complete English statement as a question, instead of a couple of keywords, ask a complete English statement, then you will see better response. So they took it as a feedback and sometimes the feedback is not a technical feedback. It can be a feedback to train the users. 
So they started a small training program, they trained their users, and the users started asking full sentence questions, and they saw a huge amount of improvement in the outcome. So again, like you said, um, you know, it can be through a feedback or it can be as some matrices that you capture as a post-production unit, which can be like a responsible AI matrix. So a combination of this would definitely see uh, better results. Definitely. Now moving towards the end of the podcast. So one of the key things, especially we want to know from someone uh, expert like you that what should we do to remain updated regarding new trends in prompt engineering and LLMs or generative AI? How do you do it? Yeah, it's, it's uh, one of the toughest questions. Um, so I think, you know, the simple answer is, you know, keeping your eyes and your ears open, right? Um, that's what I do. Uh, I think, you know, everything is a learning opportunity. Um, every meeting I go to, every every you know podcast I listen to, every you know article I read about, I try to see you know what what's new, right? So again, I think you know spending a lot of time with yourself, you know, spend some time, you know, study. You know, it's it's more about in, in this kind of a field where everything is evolving. I think you need to give yourself, you know, your own time. And spend time reading, spend time listening, spend spend time analyzing things. Um, so I think that has worked for me, and hopefully it'll it'll work for others too. Great, great. So thanks, Nayan. That's all for today. Thanks a lot for sharing your experiences, the challenges, and especially how you solve them. They are really helpful. And uh, personally, I feel that those were really actionable, and that will help the um, community a lot. So thanks for joining the call today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shivam. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So guys, that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done it yet to stay updated on emerging prompt engineering and LLM trends. Also, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave your questions in the comment section that you want us to discuss in our next podcast episode. And remember to share this podcast with anyone who might find it helpful. Stay tuned for more engaging conversations next week. Bye-bye.